Well, we're hoping that Jamin and his family and all the others who are in the congregation are feeling better. In the past couple of weeks, Jamin has been going through this series concerning our mission, our vision and mission. Our vision didn't change. We're still the place to belong and a place to know God. But our mission ended up changing somewhat. We're still followers of Christ who serve with heart, worship in wonder, create with purpose. And those are some of the things that we have changed the mission to. And I think Jamin ended up looking at going a little bit further as he uh, made the, the statement of wanting to do something with discipleship. And when you look at discipleship, in Matthew chapter 28, Jesus gave a command to the disciples before leaving. And his command was, Jesus spoke to them and he said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I command you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of age. You know, many churches have done a great job at baptizing. We have done a great job at teaching. But one of the struggles that we face as churches, we struggle with discipleship. And that was the first thing he said, go and make disciples. So who are these disciples? And what does discipleship mean? Where do we go from here? And hopefully what Jamin will do when he comes back next week, he will come back with the end of his Sermon, I think he said the sermon was blind spots or something. So hopefully he will come back and finish that up. But what we're going to look at now is the, who are these disciples of Jesus? And what gave them a different perspective of who Jesus was? Well, before chapter 16, there were certain things that had gone on between Matthew chapter 8 and Matthew chapter 14, where Jesus showed who he was. Matthew chapter 8, and it was, he helped the leper. Leper came to him and said, heal me, heal me. And Jesus touched him and healed him. You know, you didn't touch people who was leprosy back in the days because they were afraid that it could come off and get on you and you have leprosy. Jesus never failed to touch those who were in need. He healed the leper. He healed Peter's mother-in-law who was really sick with a fever. A lot of people didn't know that Peter was married. There was a great storm on the sea and the disciples, some of the disciples were fishermen. So they're used to storms out on the sea. But this night the storm was raging so hard and Jesus was in the back of the boat asleep. And they said the disciples ran to Jesus and said, wake up, man. Can't you see we're about to drown here? And Jesus said, ye of little faith. And he spoke to the storm and the storm became and the sea became a soft, smooth carpet. These are just a few of the things that he seen, that they had seen. 
They seen Jesus uh, feed 5,000 people during this time with five loaves and two fish. Also another time before chapter 16, Peter had a confrontation with Jesus on the, on the ocean. After they fed the 5,000, Jesus sent Peter and the disciples on across the lake, across the sea to go head on and do it, to start the ministry there. And Jesus, they said at night, about three o'clock in the morning, they saw a ghost, so they thought. But it was Jesus walking on the water, and they said Jesus would have walked on past them if they hadn't said something. But Peter called out and said, Jesus, if it's you, command me to come out to you. He said, okay. Peter came out, and what did Peter do when he soon as he got out on the water? He saw Jesus, he was walking, and the next thing you know, he took his eyes off Jesus, and he started to sink. Help me, I'm drowning. Is that the same thing we do? Jesus calls us to ministry, and the first thing we do is take our eyes off Jesus and put our eyes on our own ministry. You know, I was thinking about that this morning when I was getting ready to prepare for this sermon. I know Mandy sent me a text message yesterday about 3.40. I was out in the yard trying to pull some of the weeds up, and we have plenty of weeds due to my lack of being at home and taking care of the backyard. So she sent the text that Jamin was sick and could I teach? And my wife was sitting there and we were around the fire pit and I was like, wow, that's a lot of timing. So uh, I sent it back, yeah, said, yes. And I thought about that and I was like, do I teach? Do I come up here and teach you all what just for what I've learned for this sermon, or do I teach you all because I have a desire to know God each and every day? So hopefully your study for scripture won't be to prepare for a sermon, it won't be to prepare for an event, but it will be a, a part of your life each and every day, that you would know the God of creation that you would know that the God who created you desires a relationship with you, an intimate and a personal relationship with you. This is also one of those questions, who do you say that Jesus is that has eternal impact that can change lives? There was another gentleman in the book of scripture whose name was Bartimaeus. Many of you probably know, have heard of Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus was the blind man who was on the side of the road who was a beggar. And he heard that Jesus was coming through and he used to stand on the side of the road as you leave Jericho or as you enter Jericho. There are three accounts of Bartimaeus in scripture but only one account talks about who Bartimaeus was as a man. The other two in Matthew chapter 20, verses 29 through 34, it says there were two blind men. In Luke chapter 18, 35 and 43, there was no name given, but they said the same identical thing. They said, Jesus, son of David, 
have mercy on me. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And the people tried to quiet them down, but they only screamed louder. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. In Mark, it gave them another account. They used Bartimaeus' name. And Jesus, he said the same thing. Jesus, have mercy on me. As I said, Bartimaeus had heard of Jesus. He had heard of the miracles that he has been doing. He had heard of him raising the dead. He had heard of him uh, feed, uh, healing the leopard. He had heard of them feeding 5,000. And Bartimaeus said to himself, if I can just get his attention, he can regain my sight. So Bartimaeus kept calling. And what did Jesus do when Jesus got to Bartimaeus? He stopped and said, what do you want? Bartimaeus said, I want to see, Lord. And Jesus said to Bartimaeus in Mark chapter 10, verse 52, Bartimaeus, your faith has healed you. This was the only account where Jesus said to him, the other two accounts, Matthew or Luke didn't say your faith had healed you. He just, they just said that those blind people, who was Bartimaeus, this just different accounts, they said that they just followed Jesus after that, right? But here Jesus said your faith has healed you. So my question to you is, what is faith? Is faith like a dream? No, it can't be a dream. Langston Hughes wrote a poem years ago, a dream fulfilled, a dream denied. He said, does a dream stink like rotten meat? Does it, is it like a sore that runs? Is it like something sweet or does it explode? No, faith is this right here. It says in scripture in Hebrews chapter 11, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. That's the New American Standard Version. I like the living Bible version. It says, what is faith? It is the confident assurance of something that we want going to, that we want is going to happen. It is seen ahead. You know, that's one thing about faith. Sometimes in America, when you say something about faith, people say, well, if you have faith in God, everything's going to be okay. Everything is going to be hunky-dory. That's not the case, people. I'm here to tell you that's not the case at all. I know in 2020, at the end of 2021 and at the end of 2020 and 2021 was a difficult time in our life as a family because we lost a child. And I think my wife said something toward the end of 2021 that still sticks with me today. If it was not for faith, I don't know how I would have made it through. If it was not for faith, I don't know how I would have made it through. And because of faith, there's been a lot of things that happened. If you look at Hebrews chapter 11, the great chapter of faith, 
it talks about all of these great people and the things that they did because of their faith. Some of you probably heard, you probably heard of Daniel and him shutting the mouth of lions. You probably heard of Solomon. You probably heard of all these great people of faith. But this, get, this writer is toward the end of the chapter is running out of time. And he said this about faith. He said there's a, an other crowd when you start talking about faith. When you start look at Hebrews chapter 36 and 40. Jenna said you can go and look at these scriptures yourself. When you look at Hebrews chapter 11, 36 and 40, it says and others experience scorning, mocking, chains, imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were put to death with swords, they were destitute, they were affected, they were ill-treated, wandering in deserts and mountains, caves and holes and grounds, and did not receive the promise. But they had the promise because of their faith. Not because of what happened to them, but because of their faith. I'll tell you something that happened to me, and I didn't realize it, that we had experienced these things in my family until my sister wrote a book a couple years ago. And that book is a sore subject with my mom and my sister still, still today. They don't talk, they talk all the time on Sundays, but they don't talk about the book. So I read the book, and one thing that happened from reading the book is I had to apologize to my sister for some of the things that happened to her. It wasn't me that made those things happen, but she needed to hear that someone in her family loved her through those things because the name of the book is You Have Worth, and she was trying to communicate to others that no matter what happens in your life, you have worth. So this conversation led my mom and I into conversations with each other about our family history. When I was four years old, my parents decided to move us to Mississippi to be with my great-great-grandmother. And I'm not a big fan of the state of Mississippi, but you know, to be there with my great-great-grandmother. She was born in 1866. And for those of you who know a little bit about history, in 1866, when she was born, slavery had just ended the year before. But when she was eight years old, her family was shipped away from her to another location, and she was sent to Mississippi as an eight-year-old girl. Slavery ended now, but yet and still, she didn't have any say over her life. She had a child, my great-grandmother, who I knew and who passed away when I was in college, and my mom and them, we had this huge detention between us because they never called me when, they had, when she passed and they had a funeral. So now my mom calls me for everything because you know, I got onto her case and it was like, why are you getting on your mom? I was like, come on, really? This is a lady who helped raise me, my great grandmother. So she didn't never call me, but my great great grandmother only had one child. 
and that was my Aunt Lizzie. My great-great-grandmother's name was Jenny. So my great-great-grandmother, just like I said, she had one child, and she had that child at the age of 28. And my thinking was that the reason she didn't have a child till she was 28, because all the other women had children in my family early on, was because her family was snatched away from her. So she was afraid of those things. And she only had the one child. And they were never far away from each other. When you saw my grandma Lizzie, you saw grandma Jenny. Vice versa, when you saw Grandma Jizzy, you saw Grandma Lizzie. They was tied at the hip. They weren't going to allow that separation to happen. So we went through this whole genealogical thing with my family. And I realized I came from a whole matriotic family. All women. A lot of strong women. So when I was going through my mom's in them part, my mom was like, well, I was born here, and I was, did this, and she's like, but I don't want you to just write that. I want you to write my faith journey. I was baptized in Dundee, Mississippi, in this lake, on this day, by this pastor. My, my mother, who was pearly golden, who raised me, she was baptized here. So their faith journey was more important than anything else. It wasn't their journey. It wasn't being shipped away from your family as a slave, which slavery is supposed to be over. It wasn't that. It was, how can I grow my faith? And my mom says she used to sit under my great-great-grandmother's rocking chair down in Mississippi in a, in a two-room house that had no lights, had no indoor plumbing, and that she would sit there and rock and pray all day long. And she never understood it. The only thing she would do is sit there and rock and pray. Then I found out that my great-grandmother did the same thing. The only thing she did was pray. My grandmother, she did the same thing. She ended up marrying a pastor, and that's all they did was pray. I remember walking in one night listening to him pray. And he was praying, praying Ephesians, Lord, I hope that Lonnie would know the hope of his calling through Jesus Christ. Just like I would pray for Christ at, Christ at the church, that you would know the hope of your calling through Jesus Christ, who he is. That you would have a strong faith that says no matter what happens, no matter what goes on in life, I know that the God of creation loves me because you know the person of Jesus Christ and him shedding his blood for you. So, do we know who Jesus is? Who do you say that Jesus is? We know he's not the 95-pound rock wilder, right? We know that he's not King David's son, right? 
Who is Jesus? Jesus is son of the living and true God. So when you're ever in trouble, when you're ever in, you're happy and you're thrilled with life, can you say to yourself, Jesus, son of the living and true God, have mercy on me because you are faithful. You are righteous. You are true. You have come and given me life and life abundantly. So I leave you with this question. Who do you say that Jesus is? Also, I want to leave you with this assurance from Romans chapter 8, verse 38 and 39. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor power, nor height, nor death, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Pray with me, please. Father, we thank you for your infinite love for us. We thank you that you came and you shed your blood that we might have life and that we might have life abundantly. And we know that there is going to come a time when we need to turn to you and seek your face and seek your wisdom that we might walk in your ways, that we might trust you and hope in you. We pray these things in Jesus' name.